Yeah. What happened now? Uh, check out the link that I put in the uh, chat. Holy hell. Yeah, right? What? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Insta Pump Fury. <laughs> Shit. Wow. And I was just telling Todd, or Todd and I were just talking about how, like, the 90s fashions are not even, it's not even, like, a little bit anymore. It is, like, all, pretty much fashion is just 90s fashion right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, there is only 90s fashion. Yeah. Yeah, we saw the wave coming, like, when, I guess we should officially start the podcast. <laughs> but, um, like, it was probably, like, five years ago, uh, one of my high school friends, Jen Briggs, she uh, uh, pointed, she, like, posted on Facebook. She's like, what the fuck? And uh, shared, like, an ad for, um, for um, overalls. Overalls, like, women's <laughs> overalls, just to wear, like, 90s fashion. She's like, what the fuck is happening? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw an ad for Jinko jeans last year. Yeah, That's they came back. Like, what? <laughs> and I wonder, did like Jinko survive through, or did somebody like buy the license? No, they bought it and revived it. Okay, that's what I figured. Because I was like, there's no way that Jinko like survived through the 2000s, <laughs> like when everybody well, was like, skinny jeans. <laughs> well, there there are places like Bakersfield that uh, Jinko's never true, went away. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where are the Juggalos going to get their all their pants? Magnets. <laughs> they work. <laughs> uh, well, it is Sunday night, everybody, and this is the Getting Off Topic podcast. This is Tony. This is Todd. This is Byron. And hi, hey, it's Meg. Meg. <laughs> she sounds like a Muppet. <laughs> uh, she might be joining later. She is out and about in the world like a human being does, uh, like a vaccinated human being does. So what, <laughs> one last thing about this, these 90s fashions okay. um, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, I'm in my mid-30s at this point, and um, uh, I feel like just as I was tr- just as I was figuring out my own personal fashion uh, and like how to look cool with my own personal style, what is cool is now changing and slipping right out of my grasp. (laughs) Dead gummin' as soon as I get it, they don't change it on me again. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I used to wear an onion on my belt. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, for the I used to be hip, I used to be with it. Then they changed what it was. Now, what it is is strange and scary. <laughs> It'll happen to you. <laughs> no, uh, for the listeners at home, Byron just shared with us the news that uh, official Reebok Jurassic Park sneakers are a coming coming or they're out already I, I think they're out and they look straight out of 1993 like oh, they, these are bright fucking primary like, color i mean i don't think they look like the these... jeeps from the first jurassic park yeah, yeah and that's exactly I, what the model is. I, I don't think that these literal ones were out but like i definitely probably had a pair of shoes that looked almost identical to them yeah these are legit are like more intense than even like a, a like a five-year-old's shoes yeah now do these actually have the pump on them it looks like it because it's called the uh yeah jurassic park reebok reebok insta pump fury <laughs> it looks like that's God. got the pump right on the right on the, yeah, uh, on, the on the toe yeah on, on the, the tongue, tongue. 
okay yeah that's definitely well, i wasn't i wasn't sure if it was just there for like the nostalgia factor if it legitimately does the pump action well oh boy man those things are fucking hideous <laughs> <laughs> and they will cost you 180 dollars. they're just all the no. that's, that's the thing like the the wave of nostalgia has like hit and hit hard and so everybody's just cashing in any way they can $180 is what the people that wait in line for eight hours will pay. What hey, you will pay is $800. Yeah. 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 I was going to say yeah. sneakerheads are like something else, man. Even if they're ugly as fuck, sneakerheads will buy them. Did you watch um, that Disney Plus show with Jeff Goldblum? It was like the world according to Jeff Goldblum or something like that. Mm-mm, no, I didn't. It was just it was just an excuse for him to like wander around the country and uh and just investigate Get free sneakers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Actually, legitimately there was, there was an episode like he just pick, like, they just pick any random subject. Like he's going to go explore the wonders of the world of barbecue enthusiasts. And, and yeah. And then like uh gene enthusiasts, there's this whole thing about like custom jeans and the history of Levi and all that shit. And went to the Levi factory. Well, like custom jeans with like pictures of like Top Gun on them or something. Like fucking anything. Like any uh, jeans, jeans, there, the the amount of people that are sneakerheads, there's just as many jeans. I don't know what they call them, but jeans aficionados are the same way. Like they go hard on like vintage. Do they call jeans. them jean genies? Go hard, jean genies. Um, so there there was actually an episode where he just dove into the world of custom sneakers, and he's like, like name brand or just like like high quality custom sneakers, and mm. these like conventions and, and uh like shows that people go to uh all the sneakerheads and they're just trading and buying and dropping like 30 fucking g's for i mean insane ass sneakers there's ne- uh, like i i know a couple sneakerheads so like i definitely understand that like this is a thing but like there's there's niches for that type of stuff like like pin collecting is a thing that's like absurdly big and it i always just hope that like uh myself and like my like eventual partner have at least the same sort of like weird niche interests at heart you know because like it's so easy to like just have somebody who you've been dating for a while and then they're like oh just fyi i'm just i'm really into collecting troll dolls yeah (laughs) you know like and and it's just a crap roll like maybe they are like a pirate and go to like pirate conventions and stuff like that or like pirate festivals yeah. or like maybe they're like really really into troll collecting or you know uh we ran out of time last episode but one of the headlines that i was going to mention have you been hearing about the crazy run of uh pokemon uh card investors oh, yeah lately? because because they're like i don't know why but- so we touched on it a couple of podcasts ago, but basically the <clears throat> on Twitch and YouTube, there's been a run of uh, people opening vintage Pokemon cards, oh, and that has sort of fueled the new cards sucks. as well. So the new cards, are, just like Magic, they come out with an expansion like once every six months or so, and they want to get in on the new cards too instead of just the old vintage cards because the old vintage cards are expensive as fuck. And you can get the same hype opening a bunch of new cards on your Twitch stream. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I feel like all the collecting um, uh, like niches are going through like a severe like price 
increase because like game collecting i don't know if you guys have been paying attention to that the the price of of retro game collecting for specifically the like fifth gen consoles has just absolutely skyrocketed it's yeah it's the pandemic it's yeah the pandemic. i mean it was like the, you're the sitting at home money. the stimmy money you know like stimmy everybody money got too but everybody's sitting at home they can't go outdoors they can't do outdoor stuff with people they can't go shopping well i mean up until a couple of months ago yeah so what do you do you're at home you sit on ebay you sit on you sit on amazon you look for things and when oh, you got you know 1400 bucks from the government just ripping a hole in your pocket you know yeah 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 i mean uh i went to um hawthorne game exchange which is a uh, a new up it's under new ownership but it's a classic game store they have vinyls and t-shirt i bought a silent hill 3 shirt there uh, mm -hmm. the other day um but i picked up uh tony hawk's uh underground one and because i've never actually played it all the way through it's one of the only tony hawk games I've, i haven't played and i got burnout two directors cut both for the original xbox nice yeah some good pickups yeah. And kind of like what we touched on um, last time or two times ago, whatever, we were talking about the whole, as we were struggling to understand uh, NFTs uh, <laughs> and Bitcoin and whatnot, there's all these, there's these niche things. Well, I mean, that's not a niche thing. It's a huge thing, but also like the Pokemon card stuff, the sneaker collecting, any sort of collectible, um, you know, whatever your brand is, there's going to be the people that, grab these things to appreciate them and enjoy them and like the vintage games to play them. And there's a mass amount of people just trying to get rich quick and yeah. just trying to grab the goods so then they can show it off to somebody else for much more. Um, That's the majority on newer Pokemon, like the CCGs, Pokemon magic, that's that's the the trend lately is there are more people buying for value rather than buying to play and or collect. I mean, that makes sense. I, I feel like it's always sort of trended in that direction in the first place. Um, yeah. But it's definitely seems like it's going much more that way. Oh, my God. <clears throat> There's also Ghostbusters themed Reeboks. <laughs> and there it's it's the pink slime from number two. Thank what? It. That's so oh. weird. Oh, this is bizarre what the okay. now i'm just now i'm just confused that is like <laughs> I, I threw it in the chat I, I don't i don't understand i don't understand who's gonna buy what? that <laughs> now, how would you even Good know what Lord. that is it looks like it's like from nickelodeon or like double dare or something yeah yeah somebody just like poured slime on you <laughs> oh no, no thank you why yeah, no i'm good no <laughs> No, stop it. Stop it, Reebok. No. Oh, there's more. There's it's like a whole line of Reeboks. Uh, oh, Reeboks. yeah. Oh, the, this, the these... third one's not too bad. Yeah, the second ones are interesting, too. Oh, I see. Oh, the fourth one's cool. I like the fourth one. Oh, with the big logo there. Yeah, those are pretty yeah. That, Okay, that one makes more sense. The bottom half of it is kind of bizarre, but whatever. <laughs> the right, third that... and fourth ones are all right. I don't, I don't mind those last two. All right, enough of this shit. Um, so um, <laughs> did, you, did you guys see the teaser trailer for The Last Night in Soho? 
Um, no, I didn't know it, this existed. I saw a headline for it, but I didn't have time to watch. I think it I came out. Really... I think it came out today. So okay. Um, yeah, it's a, Taylor Joy, right? It's a well, it's a teaser trailer for the actual trailer, which comes out later this week. Oh, um, I hate that shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's Anna Taylor Joy. Um, but I don't know. Uh, Edgar Wright. I feel like um, Scott Pilgrim is like getting a lot of secondary looks i i re i re recently rewatched it I, it's one of my favorite movies um but like billy byron i had no idea yeah right <laughs> <laughs> sorry go um, on yeah i only talked about like spending a bunch of money on getting the the physical edition of the game a couple weeks ago um yeah so it's a it, supposedly it says that it's in the vein of um other sort of like 60s and 70s era uh thrillers like suspense thrillers like um 1973's don't look now and polanski's repulsion which are i mean those are some like pretty specific movies to to name drop okay because um, they're very like visually iconic um and both sort of horror not necessarily horror definitely on the more on the side of suspense thriller but don't look now is a little bit more on horror um and edgar wright i, I don't know i mean i think he's probably one of the most consistent filmmakers in on the planet in terms of like everything that he makes is great yeah if it, if it says edgar wright on it i'm gonna watch it and... yeah then with Anya Taylor Joy as well, like even better. I'm down. Like I'm in. <laughs> yeah, especially like um, Baby Driver. I think was a a little bit more of a sort of a. I was not expecting that from him. Mm. It's not really the type of movie that he's made before, but it was great. Yeah. Todd brought in uh, some pretty awesome, probably the most awesome of news this week. He announced on Facebook or shared the, the link on Facebook. Our Henry Cavill, our uh, our boy in blue, yeah. is set to star in the Highlander remake, uh, directed by uh, John Wick's Chad St Stahelski. Stahelski, did you say his name? Um, I think yeah, so. I didn't. I didn't even know uh, a remake was in in the works. But they've been trying for a while. I mean, it, it's it's one of those franchises that like. I feel like has been, I've been hearing about remakes for like 10, 15, almost 15 years. Yeah. Since the last movie played. Pretty much. Playing. Yeah. yeah. And they when, had... was the, when was the last one? Oh God. I think it was like a it made for sci-fi movie or... or something like that. that was well, that's the thing that awful. Yeah. They kept trying to, it kept chugging along through the nineties. Like they had, I want to say at least two series. I'm going to say it was, was probably 2003 or 2004. There was two different series, and then there was a, a series of reboot movies after the uh, the main actors left, after Christer, Christopher Lambert stopped doing them. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, Todd shared that, uh, that news on uh, Facebook, to which I immediately replied, okay, so what Scotsman are we going to get to play a Spaniard this time? <laughs> <laughs> so I think the one that I'm thinking of is Highlander Endgame. Um, oh yeah, that was fucking awful. That one was fucking awful. 
Hmm. Maybe it's not. Oh, and then so Highlander the Source was the last movie, and that was the uh, the Sci-Fi Channel direct movie. Oh wow! And then there was the show, which I never I I, I used to catch episodes of it on Sci-Fi Channel way back in the day, like nineties era. Yeah, the series was good. Um, they also had a, another series, uh, The Raven, which only did one or two seasons, which was kind of garbage. And the animated series was actually okay. Animated series, oh shit. Yeah, they did an animated series. It was it was okay. It was not terrible. It was not good. Well, have they even said, is it going to be uh, the same character story? Is it going to be a straight-up remake of Uzi? I would imagine it's probably going to be a remake of the first one. Okay. It, they don't have to remake it because the 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 show had a different lead. So I mean, yeah, too. You you can have multiple Highlanders. So I mean, obviously there there can only be one, but still, <laughs> in the pro in the process of getting to be the one, there can be multiple. Now the question is, do they do they use the music from the first one? They have to use the Queen. The queen they have to use the Queen here. soundtrack. They'll do a, a fresh soundtrack for everything else, but there's got to be a, a heroic moment where they pay tribute to it. With, uh, yeah, the original theme. Here we are, born to be king. We are the princes of the universe. Wow, wow, Jeez. But yeah, uh, Sean Connery famously playing ramirez in the first one it was ramirez wasn't it was his name yes who, who trained him so yep. yeah maybe not not so much this time around <laughs> who do you uh, uh do you think they'll do you think they're gonna um end up in the future in the second one? Oh jesus <laughs> sure <laughs> have to set, shut down the what the weather satellite or whatever the <laughs> fuck that was god that was one of those bonkers seek that made no fucking sense like that was more bonkers than predator 2 <laughs> like I, okay so like i've always I, i've i've i understand what was going on uh like with the idea like well if they live forever they're gonna be in the future too <laughs> you know Wasn't like got another one of those like near future what like kind of, like predator 2 it was like in the it was the utopia of 97 or something yeah back then it was the uh the near future of 2024 which isn't too far off guys yeah <laughs> oh well, let's say you hit the nail on the head yeah i got it <laughs> well sean connery's dead so well yeah the I, future for him but <laughs> Well, I joked with Todd on that Facebook post. I was like, so who, what Scotsman are we going to get to play a Spaniard this time? And <laughs> to your credit, you actually had a good point. You and McGregor could yeah. pull that off. I could see if anybody's going to charm us enough to accept that, it's going to be you and McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the top four Scottish actors we have a choice from would be Ewan, McGeth- Ewan McGregor, James McAvoy. So just put James McAvoy in another fucking huge franchise. Or David Tennant, and then that's about it. Like oh, we could possibly, or we get, could, you know, we could get Craig Ferguson. <laughs> that's crazy talk, Byron. No, <laughs> we're getting Tennant. Damn it! <laughs> uh, all right. What else? Any other headlines? I mean, I didn't catch, I didn't catch much. But yeah, we had the uh, the uh, Highlanders. John, John Boyega is uh, filming Attack the Block too, so that's coming out. That's cool. Oh, it is actually officially happened? Yeah. Nice. 
Um, um, I was really excited about, um, or maybe we already covered this. Um, the uh, Wheel of Time series at Amazon has oh, yeah. finished wrapping and they have an early season two renewal. Um, I, I think yeah, that's, that's interesting. That, that's that, going to be in post-production forever though. That's that, that, that bode well, that bodes well for Wheel of Time. Cause like, yeah. Um, usually Rosamund. when something is picked up before the first season even starts, it's usually a good sign. Yeah. Rosamund Pike is uh, the lead in that one. That's cool. Uh, yeah. That's like, it's, I was looking it up. We had this long conversation. It's like 15 books. I think it was. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> no, 14 books because, uh, Robert Jordan, uh, didn't he die? Yeah, he died before he was able to finish the last book, which the last book was going to be number 12, but he left the detailed notes for some other author to come in and finish it for him. And then um, the uh, the guy who took over, I forget his like name. Split it in two or something? Brandon, Brandon Sanderson? Sanderson, I think it was, yeah. yeah. Uh, he started working on it using his notes, and he was just like a longtime fan of the series and... Um, and had met uh, Rob Jordan before. Um, so he was selected, I guess, by whoever was in charge of the, you know, the you know I, but he, it, once he started working on it, he realized with all the, everything that had to play out, he's like, Oh, this can't fit in one giant book. Like it looks like Robert Jordan was kind of trying to finish it. Cause he knew his time. Was coming. Yeah. So they ended up splitting it into three final books. So oh, wow. final book 12 <laughs> became 12, 13, 14. And that was the wow. You know, it's interesting. I think that like this is a phenomenon that happens in science fiction and fantasy literature, mm. I, I, like more than it happens in other sort of realms. In, mm. in that, like, a, an author has to come in and finish the final works of <laughs> another author because they died because there's too many books. Too many books. <laughs> too many books. Too many books. Because like this isn't the first time that I've heard of this happening. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what prevents me from starting a lot of series because I'm just like, give me more like one-off fantasy stories, but nobody wants that. The, like, you know, they want this crazy expansive world. And I understand that, but it kind of becomes preventative. I mean, that's like I, why I didn't watch like Supernatural until it fucking ended. Because I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like I just do, I don't have the patience to read a uh, long book series. Yeah. Uh, uh, Unless it's like something that's like once in a lifetime sort of storytelling, uh, I just I I I have a hard time getting through one book now, let alone yeah. Like, I know my attention know, like, span, and maybe that because maybe that comes to like chalk it up to growing up loving movies where you're done in two hours. <laughs> you know, you don't have to sit there and concentrate on pages. Maybe that's why I'm a poor book reader, <laughs> a fiction yeah. book. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've very much realized, and I think we've talked about this a little bit, is that um, audiobooks are just the, it, like, a hybrid approach works for me, but, like, audiobooks are really the only way that I get through books at, these, at this point. Like, I think uh, the last actual book that I read, like, sat down and read cover to cover was probably the martian like at your uh <clears throat> like the day before your wedding tony <laughs> <laughs> i mean th and then that's the things i also read the martian and that was probably one of the you know fewer uh sci-fi books that i've actually read in the last decade and i did i read it in like a day or something like that you know or like two yeah. days or three days or something super short um yeah. that was a good one um speaking of uh Andy ongoing Weir. series or i guess like 
temp temporarily uh, returning series. Um, Meg and I watched the other night that uh, new Adventure Time special came oh, out. Oh yeah, how was the, it? The, the third one now, which is the Finn and Jake one. Uh, it was good. It was really good. Um, so yeah, they're like forty-five minute uh, one-off specials. There, they have a fourth and final one, which is going to be about Peppermint Butler. <laughs> um, but this was a cool little one, just kind of like putting a a final wrap-up story on Finn and Jake. I can't really say anything without giving it away. So if you guys, um, for fans of the series, if you want, uh, if you, I've got to do, I've got to do a, a rewatch of. Um... Because I didn't catch the last, like, I mean, how many seasons were there total? Ten. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Well, some are. Uh, I guess I didn't see the last five seasons then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, bro they broke them up. It kind of did like a Game of Thrones thing where they just started mm. releasing shorter seasons that were broken up yeah. a lot more. So, uh, so the last ones are kind of like mini seasons. Um, but I mean, it's like, it's like a fucking 12 minute show. Like, it goes by fast. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> when, when you actually sit down and like binge it, it's actually. Pretty, pretty quick yeah. i think that was our first or one of our first quarantine binges was that mm. entire run so uh, i saw this that uh dc's batgirl movie will be helmed by the directors of bad boys for life i still haven't watched that i've been meaning to go back and watch the first two again because it's been so long yeah uh, i heard a lot of positive reviews on that last one so the script is from christina hodson and um the directors are Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falal. Um, and yeah, so they'll be directing Batgirl. Um, is there a, a potential release date on that one or is it still far in the... Uh, I mean, I would say two years, probably. That makes sense. It seems like a, it's... So... D the DCEU has been sort of very, very confusing in terms of their plans because originally, you know, they had really? their, DC <laughs> their DCEU plans. You don't and say. Then, <laughs> and then they're like, oh, yeah, actually, now we're not doing uh, connected universe stuff. Everything's just going to take place in its own little pocket dimension. And then just a couple like months ago, they were like, actually, we're doing the connected universe thing again but it's all going to be, it's all the multiverse, but yeah. we are actually going to have all our characters interact yeah. or at least and the core. I, I feel like the core storylines like, uh, and then they announced that the Batman takes place on earth too. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, uh, Ben wants to be Batman again. What are we doing? <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> uh, and then there, there, there was that rumor the you know, super rumor, take this one with a grain of salt, everybody. Because it comes from we got this covered, and they do not have a good track record. Mm. Um, uh, possible Arkham Asylum show starring Affleck. Oh yeah, I saw that. I one mean, too. the only the reason why I believe it is because he he's really been trying to he I think he was really really into this concept of an Arkham Asylum show or mm. uh, Arkham Asylum story, um, and I feel like the uh the snyder cut sort of reawakened his desire to be batman again mm -hmm. um and i liked him as batman yeah yeah he's solid i mean uh, the most of my issues with uh 
Snyder's take were stylistic and yeah, I hated Snyder's take on the character, but yeah, but, but ba- Affleck's representation of that character I thought was great. Yeah, he was a solid, older, grizzled Batman. I was totally down with it. Um, did you uh, did you guys get caught up with the Bad Batch? Oh no, I haven't. I have. Um, we got, uh, or should I not say? I mean, it's not like a spoiler or anything, but we. Oh, it's uh, not Fennec Shand, isn't it? Yeah, we get uh, Fennec yep. Shand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, was she voiced by Ming Na Wen? Yeah. Oh wow, they actually got uh, as soon, her. As soon as you hear her voice, it's just like a warm blanket. It's like, ah, oh, Ming Na, <laughs> rad. See, I, I'm always expecting her to be yelling about like um, not putting the right names on somebody's chart and uh, getting them into the OR quicker. ER, the ER days. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, God, that was that feels like a lifetime ago. I mean, it was. She was in her twenties when she was doing it, so it definitely was. <laughs> and I was in my early teens watching it. I think. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. Oh, that was and, a good episode, though. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, fun, solid episode. I'm sure they'll have more of her down the road. Did um, anybody catch uh, Army of Dead? Uh, not yet. I, not no. yet. We should we should do an episode on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've been hearing. In I've like been hearing three weeks or something. Two weeks. I've been hearing a lot of people really actually enjoying it, saying like, "Oh wow, Zack Snyder is back!" And really, uh, hand, I mean, we'll a handful, see. A handful we'll of see. people saying like, uh, "It's his same old shit" or something. I don't know. I mean, oh. I'm expecting it to be the same old shit, but I really liked Dawn of the Dead. So like, yeah. Uh, I feel like his take on zombies is pretty good. I feel like zombie movies are the perfect place for his unique brand of bullshit. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, you go there now. <laughs> yeah, just just go over there. You're good with zombies. Yeah. Just don't ever try to do anything else. <laughs> no superheroes. Uh, no no yeah. more superheroes. <laughs> um, speaking of no Star Wars, superhero. though, uh, Todd, you found out that the... Uh, uh, Galaxy's Edge is bringing in the Dark Saber. Yes, I, I need it. I need it so badly. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to be part of their new fancy ones that actually uh, like retract. And I doubt it. I doubt it because it's it's commercially available to purchase. Okay. So, like, they have the preset ones. They have the custom one that you can make. So, it's. Uh, more expensive than the standard preset ones, but it's cheaper than the custom one. Yeah, that would actually be kind of rad. <laughs> I need it. Um, I also Me saw uh, the Vindicators, a Rick and Morty spinoff. The Vindicators. Yeah, which is which is weird because Dan Harmon said that was one of his least favorite episodes that he's ever made. It probably tested really well with audiences and Adult Swim was like, give me the money. <laughs> the name sounds familiar, but I don't remember. It's, it's like the it's like the the Avengers the, knockoff. The superhero team in oh, space. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. And so they're like super dysfunctional. Oh. Okay. Uh, well, it, it is one of the worst episodes of Rick and Morty, so. I remember enjoying it, but I don't need more of those characters, but whatever yeah okay money 
money spinoffs forever spinoffs. Well, they 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 announced it uh, with a bunch of three other um, digital spinoffs for uh, a, um, Adult Swim shows. Jesus oh. Christ! Can the Knives Out cast get any larger at this? Oh point? my God! Yeah, I was I was gonna say like this cast is getting ridiculous. Oh, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson has joined Knives Out too. Kate Hudson. Wow. That's a name you haven't heard in a while. Yeah. Queen of the 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 rom com rom com. Two thousand rom com era. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey rom com era. <laughs> hey, maybe maybe he'll get Matthew McConaughey. He feels like he would fit in this universe. I would be totally <laughs> with that. I'm hundred percent on board with that. <laughs> yeah, he's too he's too busy running for Texas governor. Really? Oh yeah. Oh geez. All right. <laughs> when actors get bored. <laughs> they hey, and then then they consistently win. Uh, yeah, there you go. They either it's start just, a podcast. It's not just actors; it's fucking the celebrities actor? in general. Look at yeah, look at Ronald the Reagan, the actor who's vice president, Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> look at the uh, mayor yeah. in Huntington Beach. It's fucking David Ortiz, the the MMA fighter. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Boy. Oh, that explains so much. Oh dear, and he's uh, just as bad as you think he would be. Oh God, okie dokie. Hey guys, should we get on to uh, some Mission Impossible here? Speaking of politics, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, well, last last one, last one, because I think this is pretty interesting. I go for it. Um, a trilogy of Fear Street movies from R.L. Stein. Whoa, and they're all, and they're coming out a week apart. The first one takes place in the nineties. The second one takes place in the 1790s, and the third one takes place in the 1890s. Or I think, no, night. The first one's 1990s, second one's 1970s, third one's 17. Nice. 1666. There we go. Okay, I never read any of the Fear Street ones. I was all goosebumps, but they're really good. They're 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 like slightly more. They're for like a slightly older audience, so like older teens rather than like preteens um but uh i I don't know i just like i I like the idea of of fierce also like i like horror movies that have like shared universes that are like thought out and aren't just like uh i don't know let's just give them a bigger knife this time (laughs) okay and not not the poor attempt at a connected universe like that yeah when it's intentional what's when it's an intentional like story that they're trying to tell so from somebody that pre-screened the movies, uh, they say it's a mix of scary stories, scary stories to tell in the dark, Friday the Thirteenth, Stranger Things, and Scream. Hey, I like almost okay. all of those things. Yeah, that that scary stories to tell in the dark movie they did. Yeah, like the books or the movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I mostly enjoyed it, but it was definitely watered down for like teens i it would have been nice to see something more adult but i'm asking that of a like a young adult like book series scary stories and they are Um, rated r they're not pg-13 so okay all right i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna check them out but cool all right well in the meantime we got some more impossible missions to conquer because uh we watch. We are in week two of uh, Podcast Impossible. 
And, and I, the funny thing is, is that I feel like the second week, my feelings are almost identical to the first weeks in terms of the level of quality. Uh, really? Okay. Well, in terms of the discrepancy. Because <laughs> you were all hyped for number three. You were like, oh, yeah, give me that. I know, I magic. was. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I well, mean, I mean, in comparison to movie number two. Oof. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> Enough said. Uh, 2006. So it took six years until we got uh, movie number three, Mission Impossible. And Trump. it makes sense. <laughs> you know, like after two, yeah. uh, I think a lot of people were embarrassed and like, let's just let's just wash wash that one right out of our hair. Yeah. So 2006 Mission. Well, the amount of hair gel in that year 2000 you definitely <laughs> definitely take a while to get all that out. <laughs> hey, believe me, back and in the, the year 2000, the I tips. used like half. Half a half a tub of hair gel. Oh, oh! Through my entire high school career, I went through so many tubs of LA looks. Oh. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, geez. All right. So, uh, the Getting Off Topic podcast watched 2006's Mission Impossible Three, directed by J.J. Abrams in his movie directorial debut. Um, yeah. Written See, by... I, I think it's important to note here, though, that despite the fact that this was his directorial debut, he had been largely responsible for the success. Uh, not largely, like he was very much responsible for the success of Felicity, Alias, and Lost by this point. So, like he he directed that Lost pilot, and the Lost pilot was, I think, at the time, the like most watched pilot ever. Was Lost already out at that point in 06? Yeah, 2004. Oh, okay. All right. September 2004. But yeah, he, uh, um, he routinely directed episodes of his series, uh, uh, Felicity and Alias, wrote for them. He wrote other movies. Regarding Henry, I think, is the big one. Yeah, that that's the one that Henry. like launched his career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this was his movie directorial debut, uh, written by uh, the up-and-coming team, Alex Kurtzman, Rob, Roberto Orsi. So remember last time when we said that uh, uh, the success of, of First Contact led to Mission Impossible 2? Uh -huh. It seems like the opposite happened here. <laughs> where uh, uh, Orky and Kurtzman wrote Mission Impossible 3 and then were, went on to write Star Trek. Yeah. So you know, Also directed by J.J. Yeah. And uh, J.J. actually was not the original director attached to this film. Uh, Joe Carnahan actually worked on it for 15 months. Damn. Until you know, he left due to creative differences. That, yeah, that means that something happened. Something went wrong. Because yeah. a director does not spend 15 months in pre-production on a movie just to leave right before it starts. That yeah. just doesn't happen. Yeah. Unless, unless like, yeah, you're fired or something. Yeah, like major creative differences. Uh, he was actually pretty vocal about it. Like he was just not having a good time. And he said, uh, the quote was, I didn't want to spend another year on that movie. So when I quit, I quit probably a week before I was going to be fired. <laughs> and he said, exactly. he said to Tom Cruise, he's like, it's your name on the poster. It's your face on the poster. You have to make this movie the way you see fit, but it's not going to work for me. <laughs> so I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, JJ, his first movie uh, directing, um, obviously now we know him from fucking 
everything star trek star wars all that yeah um uh that, I mean, and, oh, actually the i've read a little thing uh, so I'm not sure of the exact timeline if if Carnahan was already out or not, but apparently at some point, some event or somewhere, uh, Tom Cruise met with uh, JJ, uh, just like chatting, just shooting the shit. And Tom Cruise admitted like, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't watched any of your show, any of Alias. And JJ gifted him like the first the box two, sets. Yeah, the first yeah. two seasons on DVD, just like thinking like nothing's going to come of it. Like, oh, he probably won't even watch him. He's fucking Tom Cruise. And then he binges them, loves them, and calls him back and says, <laughs> "I want you to do my movie." <laughs> I mean, and that's not and that's not surprising at all because this because Mission Impossible Three feels exactly like Alias. I've always <laughs> it's always been on my list of I'm going to get around to it eventually. I've never watched any of it. It looks like Alias. It feels like Alias. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> so okay. so like it looks like that's a you're wavering there it's like for better or worse it looks and feels like well, i mean it, it, it's fine it's just that uh it's too much like alias it, it, like it, it 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 feels like alias but just mission impossible instead oh yeah it, it, they don't feel different like they could take place in the same universe and i would believe you all um, i remember from alias from the publicity shots and commercials and it was that like bright neon pink wig like pink <laughs> yeah, or reddish or something yeah um it's just got this it <clears throat> so real quick i remember being a big fan of this movie when it came out like i saw it in theaters opening weekend mainly because i was a huge lost fan huge um and i w- i had i liked felicity though i hadn't gone back and rewatched it until a few years later but i ca- caught some of it on t- television and i was a ma- mild alias fan um and i remember thinking when i saw it that this was like really fresh and unique and um and i think the action scenes are it's i mean it's so yeah. different from mission impossible too oh yeah yeah it's like gritty and like that like the way that carrie russell dies is like haunting yeah um, that shot of her face like and her fucking, eyes and her eyes are like going in different click. directions like yeah oh yeah, that, man, that was a little too much like that was rough yeah uh but it's good i mean it works for the scene it, it they buried they yeah. hit the stakes right there oh yeah um, definitely well actually we open what let's let's go ahead and get into it um the very opening scene JJ does his like I'm gonna shock you, and um, we open with this really intense scene, which actually jumps to the end of the movie. It's in media res, and, yeah, yeah. And I was wondering, I, I was kind of split. Like, does this style choice work for you? Like, I kind of get like it adds the sense of dread over the whole story because, like, you know that this is this um, impending doom no. Is I don't coming. think it works. I don't think it works. I, I think yeah. it worked in 2006. It doesn't mm-hmm. work now. Um, I think it robs, especially since we, you know, spoilers for, you know, the movie. That's the whole point of this. Um, it doesn't add anything, be- especially since it turns out to be a fucking reveal. It, it's yeah. like a, it's a fake out in the first place. So like it, it comes off as cheap because that moment isn't even earned. Yeah. It's I a fake of, out. Kind of agree. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, 
I get what he was going for uh, to give like this impending, I, I think it would to give this impending doom of like, oh shit, everything's going to go south. And, and then we jump back to, you know, a few days I, earlier or something. I do want to be clear here though, that like JJ filmed what was in the script because yeah. this type of in media res, that's not a, that's not a directorial choice. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a writing choice. So yeah, it's definitely a Kurtzman. So it's definitely a Kurtzman thing to do. Uh, uh, I think maybe more Orky actually, but it's definitely an Orky Kurtzman thing. Like yeah. uh, now the the opening uh, the opening heavy drama shocker. They this is the proto version of it. They don't maybe they don't stick the landing where they really do is Trek 09. Oh where yeah. In the first ten minutes, we're crying over George Kurt. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean. The Star Trek 09 opening, I think, is probably one of the best openings to any to a movie that I saw in the 20th century or yeah. 21st century. Like those first 15 minutes are just primo. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I, I, this this is sort of what they were going for with that. I just it it where Star Trek 09 has stakes in spades, this does not. Yeah. But yeah. yeah you, you whiff a few times and then you hit the home run. But well, and and I think what it, what it comes down to is, uh, there's this tone and that's very similar to Alias, uh, mm-hmm. and and the story is that uh, Ethan now is just a family man. He's like he's just a normal dude living his normal life, the exact opposite of like fucking kung fu, uh, <laughs> Limp Biscuit man. Uh, from the second one the full biscuit uh, yeah uh or he's yeah. like fucking got exploding sunglasses and yeah. oh, i did notice in a uh, in we're jumping ahead a bit but in a funeral scene that comes up uh, towards the beginning of the movie he still got his pretty sharp sunglasses there <laughs> that era that early 2000 era um oakley's yeah yeah but yeah, so we get we're at the engagement party. Uh, Michelle Monaghan is great. Um, Ethan Hunt is pretending to be a super dorky like traffic controller dude. Like it's very true lies. Like Schwarzenegger saying how much he loves the computer business. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get um, oh uh, who's that guy? Greg Grunberg, who is in, in every fucking the JJ stalwart. Yeah. yeah, they're like childhood friends, right? Who is he? Who is his Star Wars character in Force Awakens? Uh, Snap Wexley. Snap Wexley. Yeah. Snap Wexley. And he's he's a uh, he's the pilot. the pilot of um, the Malaysian Airlines. Uh, uh, on Lost. On Lost. Mm. Um, also, and he's the he's the voice of of Kirk's stepfather in Star Trek 09. That's what I was gonna bring up. Yeah, I found that that little trivia. I was like, oh, cool. Um, but yeah so and of course he was in heroes and alias and all that good stuff yeah every literally everything so this part of so this go ahead go ahead oh what i got excited over was all of a sudden out of nowhere holy shit aaron paul is the brother-in-law that's right and he looks exactly he looks like he just stepped off the breaking bad set he's all jesse i mean it would have been the same exact era so he yeah you probably could have it would have yeah it would have been the beginning of breaking bad yeah yeah and then we get, um, so, you know, they're having a good time, but he gets the call, the knowing call of like some fake like travel agency or something. He's like, oh shit, like company's calling. And we get Doc Manhattan 
Billy Crudup uh, at the 7-Eleven. And since they were at a convenience store, they're at 7-Eleven, and this is JJ, I was wondering, is there a slush show going to appear on yeah, a, right. uh, like it, uh, on a shelf somewhere or something? Oh, but, you know, you know what uh, Easter egg I did notice was um, when he get the when he gets the poster, the postcard, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's sent to Kelvin. Oh no shit! And the USS Kelvin is named after his grandfather. Oh wow, JJ's grandfather. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh neat. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, but yeah, uh, Billy Crudup, um, you know, appears and is asking him for help. We we find out that Ethan is now. He hasn't completely left. He's just left the field. He's a trainer now on the sly. Um, he gets his mission via a Kodak one shot, <laughs> which I fucking love. Wow. When was the last time you even saw one of those in real uh, life? About that time. I yeah. I think I was probably. still working. I think I was still working at Kmart at that time when this came out. <laughs> and I would have seen, I would have seen them getting dropped off for people to have them developed. What wow. what year did this come out? Two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yeah. May of two thousand six. I think you were still so, able to buy them online, because um, if I remember, I think if I remember right, uh, Meg and I, when we were planning our wedding, which uh, would have been you know, twenty thirteen to fourteen, we were considering for a while. We had heard people have done this like kitschy thing where you get those disposable cameras and you can still order them like online in bulk on Amazon or something. And just put them at every table at the reception so people can all take pictures and then leave them there. And then we like distribute them all out or whatever, uh, like online later or something. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, so Lindsay Ferris is the agent Carrie Russell is playing. We find out she is MIA. I love her, by the way. Like uh, um, Carrie Russell is amazing. If any, if you guys didn't watch The Americans, it is probably one of the best television shows ever made. Another one that's on my it's on my my Steve Rogers list. <laughs> Isn't that is that the one that had um, oh, fuck what's his name? That guy, the guy from Walking British, Dead, British comedian, British comedian. He does the marathons all the time. The Izzard. Yeah. No, uh, I don't know. Was he in the Americans? No, the Americans is about it's the 1980s set um, Russian like. Two Russian spies are married in the United States, pretending to be American citizens. Okay, but they're actually like deep, deep cover KGB agents. Okay, it's so, uh, really, 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 really good. And Carrie Russell's the star. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. I'll add it to the list with Mr. Robot and fifty other things that people say. Why haven't you watched this it's, yet? It's be- it's better than Mr. Robot. <laughs> okay. Oh shit. Th- them's fighting words. <laughs> yeah, no I mean, kidding. Mr. Robot's right. fine. It's good, but Americans is like incredible okay all right so uh agent ferris is mia she was tracking uh philip seymour hoffman's big bad owen davian um ving rames is back which is great uh we got newcomers on the team maggie q and jonathan reese myers super young what happened to him like he was poised to be like the next i mean uh, he was an alcoholic we know what yeah, oh, we know what happened okay. to him. He had serious substance abuse issues. Yeah, right around towards the end of the Tudors, I think it got really bad. Yeah. Yeah, and then he, he he got that Dracula show. And I actually really to, liked that show. And, and they had to cancel it because he like kept falling off the wagon. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. But yeah, he's a he's a baby in here. Um, so we get the whole Berlin mission to uh, find Agent Ferris, which is super fun. 
there is a little leftover style from MI2 leaking over here. The slow-mo toss the gun I over there. I saw that, yeah. And that's that, just... seems, that seems like it was intentional, though. Like, Oh, yeah. I felt like JJ's like, Harry, I'm going to make you look so fucking cool in this scene. Like, you know, <laughs> Honestly, like, when during that scene, I was like, damn, Carrie Russell's amazing. What? Oh, yeah. She's, I love you, Carrie well. Russell. She's badass. Um, but yeah, seeing as all of MI2 was that, I'll forgive little style moments in this movie for sure. Well, and um, what I mean is that like, it seems like that was JJ literally making like a nod to the second one. Oh, maybe that she's just like, just a super agent. Anyway, but she's supposed to be like a brand new, like fresh out of training. But, but also really good. There's a line later where uh, Ethan is like, like I've trained several agents and you're the only one that I've ever approved for the field. Yeah. So she's, she's good. Um, but yeah, the entire sequence is very JJ, um, you know, action starting small and then immediately turning into this like giant circus of everything that can go wrong does go wrong. They're trying to fly away in the chopper and then they're in this field of freaking uh, um, the wind, uh, wind turbines. Yeah. The wind turbines. Yeah. Which is totally um, like Germany and not just the drive from here to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. uh, I looked at, I watched a behind the scenes video, but I can't remember where they said they filmed that. Um, it was here in the way on the way to Vegas. There's a giant wind farm on the way to Vegas. Oh, okay. I was talking about more the, the building, the, oh. the abandoned factory or whatever it was supposed to be. JJ but, um, likes to shoot um, that type of stuff in LA or Vancouver. Okay. I think yeah. the majority yeah. of LA. Yeah. I understand where JJ's influences come from. And this is kind of going back to what you were saying, Byron, earlier. You were like, you were really excited for the quality level of MI3. Um, and then you're kind of like, oh, I kind of see JJ pulling all the strings because it back then it felt really fresh, but now yeah. we see all of JJ's tropes. Yeah, and so we definitely. can easily point them out a bit. But uh, these uh, these moments, these action moments, like they're fun. And I can see clearly JJ grew up like, you know, idolizing like, uh, like Spielberg and whatnot, like, like he did. And so he loves when that, you know, the, the chaotic action scenes, they, it basically, it's like the Peter Griffin versus the giant chicken fights. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. it just gets so over the top and zany. And plus Michael Giacchino's score in there. It just, it's like this big circus. I mean, um, and, uh, I, I want to shout out to Michael Giacchino. Because oh, yeah. like I've always been a huge fan of his work, specifically starting on Lost, and uh, he did this one. He did this one and the next one, and I think his work on this one is more memorable. Um, uh, it's also more Michael Giacchino, if you know what I mean. Uh, because of uh, Meg and I finally went through and binged all of Lost, and his every time like a beloved character died or something terrible tragic happened and those, yeah. that, those fucking strings kicked up yep and that was just programmed into my brain so once i went and watched star trek 09 like fuck man the, and the his star trek 09 thing, score is incredible yeah as george kirk is sacrificing himself like as he's on the way to i just hear that in my head sometimes and get all i feel the love of it I don't have to watch the scene just hear the music yeah <laughs> um anyway great. uh so yeah the mission goes sideways we get wonky eye dead carrie russell <laughs> that honestly like i knew it was coming and i still i've tried to look away but i still caught it and it like yeah. burned into my mind yeah 
And then we get back to headquarters and Lawrence Fishburne being out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, Being the super dick boss. I forgot that he was. And he was amazing as the super dick boss. Like, yeah, you're a loser and hunts perfectly. Yeah. He does the, the, the 80s, like, uh, drop the stack of papers. Yeah. God damn it. You're, you're a loose cannon hunt. All that shit. Um, just more sophisticated and in a suit. <laughs> um, but uh, we finally get uh, Benji, uh, Simon Pegg, uh, joins the team. Or at least he's, you know, back at headquarters as the, the tech. I actually, is. I didn't realize how different his role in this movie was from the rest of them. He's the guy in the chair in this one. And yeah. I, I, even, I, I even think I forgot that he was in this movie. Yeah, I remember his role was very minor. This one, yeah, yeah, same. I I remembered that he was in it, but I forgot he's not an official member of like the field team. He's not approved Mm -hmm. for the field. He's just like the tech whiz back at the office. Yeah, Um, but yeah, so uh, we get a uh, we get a very Fox Mulder speech from him about like because this uh, they're trying to figure out what this thing you have the MacGuffin that they're after the rabbit's foot. Um, and he gives this very tech anti god, the anti god weapon. Yeah, anytime somebody's like, um, you know, paying this much for you know some sort of thing, they're assuming, yeah, it's Billy, it's me, the anti god weapon. Yeah, um, yeah, and we don't know what the MacGuffin is. And spoiler, we never fucking find out, (laughs) but as long as the audience knows, it's probably really bad. That's all we need at this point. Hey, JJ, um, uh, your mystery box is empty. <laughs> so uh, so Ethan goes to uh, go back to lie again to his fiance Julia. He may as well have, has, have just called it uh, the MacGuffin, literally the MacGuffin. in the script. Yeah, yeah, probably. It probably was in the early drafts, and then they just like <laughs> find and replaced to Rabbit's Foot at the end of it. Yeah. Um, so Ethan goes back to lie to his fiance and say, oh, I got to go out of town again, uh, to which she appropriately calls bullshit. Like what the, the no, um, but being the perfect, incredibly understanding woman, she is, she's just like, just tell me that we're okay. Like we're real and this is real and we're good. And he proves that by marrying her on the spot, which is it's movie magic, but it's, I, so, okay. I it up. Um, it's so this part is, uh, so the special effects in this, so the main special effect in this movie um is what michelle monahan what are you talking about <laughs> no no what i mean is that like the the like most significant special effect in this movie really doesn't work and it's and that special effect is making tom cruise seem like a normal human being <laughs> <laughs> because uh he doesn't seem like a normal human being Anytime that he's interacting with his like wife, uh, he looks like he's a robot wearing a human skin suit. <laughs> there is, I didn't want to get too like snarky and crass. Like I wanted to just enjoy the movie for what it is. But in the very early scene, the, the engagement party scenes <clears throat> where he's talking to Greg, Greg Grunberg and uh, BSing like, oh yeah, I, I study traffic patterns, blah, 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 blah. He does have this look in his eyes that is like he's so a, like he's a lizard person. <laughs> it's so intense that I, in the back of my head, I'm like, "Is is this his like 
that's the passionate look when he talks about Scientology to people or something. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. Um, so like, and, and this was any time that he's like talking to her and when he's like marrying her, he's like, he's like holding her head. And, and what I'm really imagining, he's just, he's like, he's actually imagining what her brains taste like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, no, I think Michelle Monahan sells it. She's sweet. No, she sells it. And it, the other, but the other thing is that like, it's only when he's trying to act normal. And if you remember, this is like a right around the time that the trapped in the closet came out. And um, uh, it's around the same time that he was jumping on the, the the couches couch. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is the, the period of time when like, the public was, was like really clued into the fact that he was like sort of a crazy person. Um, and I think he was a little unhinged. At, at, like maybe his, his like alpha waves were, or were like peaking too high on whatever machine they used to check that shit. Um, and also maybe this is just the, this is just the extent of his acting ability. Like in his head, maybe he's going like, okay, I have to be, a secret agent who's trying to convincingly hold the, back the truth from, you know, my loved one. And so he just tries to be aloof, but it just comes off as just crazy eyes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, in something, in something that I noticed specifically is that in the next movie, I had no qualms with his acting whatsoever. Yeah, it's great. It's fine. I don't know. Yeah. And when he's doing action stuff, Sorry. He wasn't trying to be personable. He wasn't trying to interact with people. He was it was just actiony all the way through. And yeah. that's yeah, and uh, my the same thing about this movie is that whenever he's doing action stuff, I believe it. It's just, you know, when he's trying to talk to human beings that I <laughs> call bullshit. Okay. All right, we got to move on. So, uh we get to the main uh, or the initial heist. We're uh, we're going to kidnap Davian, uh, while he's trying to sell his weapon at the uh, the freaking Vatican, um, uh, the the fake fight in Italian is kind of hilarious. Uh, him and uh, uh, Jonathan Rhys Myers, they're pretending to be some sort of maintenance people in a van or something, and they stop traffic on the freeway, like fake that the van broke down. And it's like they're they're they are fighting in actual Italian. But it's so yeah, because you can tell they're using they're they're moving their hands so much. Yeah, again, Family Guy. It's just like boppity boopy, boppity boopity, boppity bop. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, but anyway, um, we uh, we get him uh, going over the wall, um, the Vatican wall, with the uh, with the spread eagle zipline maneuver because they have to pay tribute to that now in every movie. Um, uh, we get. Well, to I see mean. The, the first movie was built around that gag, that one yeah. gag. Yeah. And uh, as we uh, experienced with Force Awakens, J.J. loves to revisit um, a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, uh, we get to see a face mask being made for the first time with the scan from a makeup mirror uh, scanning Philip Seymour Hoffman's face and then uh, sort of like high-tech instant sculpting, like laser sculpting thing. Um Pre 3D printing, I guess. Um, there's some uh, funny conversation with uh, uh, Luther Ving Rhames 
hammering Ethan about how uh, relationships don't work for people like them and how he's going to mess up this girl's life, et cetera, et cetera. And then it ends with Ethan telling him, like, by the way, we got married two days ago. And so all he can say is just like, congratulations. <laughs> and this is actually, I think this is where JJ really shines, or at least this is where we see JJ's style. He has these sequences like where he, he very directly moves the plot forward, showing Ethan getting his disguise together and the rest of their preparations and stuff, while at the same time paralleling, like continuing the character arc, the relationship convo happening over all this action and both threads meet at the end of the scene is a button where, you know, face mask is on and yeah. we got married. Congratulations. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, and we also get the, uh, oh, once they kidnapped uh, or once he um, knocks down Philip Seymour Hoffman in the bathroom, we get the, uh, how the voice modulation works. Like they need a sample from him. Oh yeah. Reading off that weird limerick or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it gets coded in the computer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they do that. And a minute later, we're blowing up Lamborghinis and speedboating away with sunglasses. Um, again, we're giving the flashy styling moments of passing this, you know, versus the last movie. Um, oh, I actually read a bit of interesting trivia. At the time of this filming, Maggie Q, who's behind the wheel on a Lamborghini, she did not have a driver's license. She actually <laughs> had never driven a car. Really? And yeah. then just go ahead and put her behind the wheel of a fucking Lamborghini. Put her behind the wheel of a Lamborghini, and they're at, she actually had a small collision on one take where her uh, her spiked heel got stuck on the pedal, and she <laughs> ran into another parked car on the set. Oh, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was probably a pretty expensive... Uh... Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a Lamborghini, so that's at least a minimum of a $100,000 repair. Yeah. Well, I mean, they end up blowing up in that Lamborghini, too. Anyway, um... We uh, so now we've got we've captured Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Davian, and we get the plane scene with him and Ethan measuring dicks. Um, and I did, by the way, Philip Seymour Hoffman is just a treasure. Yeah, he really played nice. a great bad guy, and the reason why I say this is because I really can't fucking stand the character. Like especially in this scene, he is just such a smug fucking bad guy. His whole like. I'm going to find her. I'm going to kill her. And that weird, like, almost, her. Buffalo, <laughs> yeah. like almost Buffalo Bill voice. It really hit, like, I'm going to find her. I'm going to kill her. And I'm going to hurt her. Her. Are you a size 14? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, anyway. So they do that whole bit. Um, uh, they decode uh, dead Lindsay's message on the, uh, the micro dot thing. Um, and it's her saying that uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, uh, Brassel, uh, Dick Boss Supreme character, uh, apparently there were some call records between him and Davian. So it looks like they're working together and she was set up or something's happening there. And then boom, immediately explosions, drone strike on the bridge, commandos coming in by helicopter to free Davian. Um, they put some weird, they put like the stuff on the side of his prison transport thing to crack it open or something. Um, uh, drone comes back around for Ethan. Scrubbing they use scrubbing bubbles. Scrubbing bubbles, yeah. <laughs> it works wonders. Uh, Ethan runs back to the overturned van to grab a rifle, and we get the, uh, the cool shot from the trailer with the second drone strike knocking him against a car. But in, in retrospect, the physics of that don't make sense. Like the strike, the explosion is directly behind him, 
and he gets goes this way sideways yeah Yeah, gets the car but whatever it still looks kind of cool um he does the uh he does the leap of faith across the bridge barely making it to the other side but of course it's too late davian's safely away on the helicopter um and immediately he calls home to check on julia because of the threat you know and aaron paul is there to go yo mr white (laughs) um but it wasn't at a beans yo yeah (laughs) Uh, and of course uh julia gets kidnapped um by what appears to be a lost beetle like some English dude with the freaking yeah, I, yeah, what? <laughs> what was that choice? Why? <laughs> Whatever. But uh, and then immediately he's gone. Ethan gets the call from Davian saying he's got her. He's got I forget if it was twenty four or forty eight hours to deliver the rabbit's foot, um, which we still have no idea what it is. And then um, oh, and then the IMF comes back, detains Ethan, like weirdly full-blown Hannibal Lecter style with that yeah, with the mask thing. face mask thing. I guess, yeah, because he's he's dangerous. Um, but because he fled the bridge disaster and Fishburn still is not clear what the hell's going on. Um, and we're not still sure. We don't have any answers for him if he's actually a traitor or not, what the hell's happening. Um but yeah, um, yeah, I'm just assuming at this point he's detaining Ethan because he's being the asshole boss. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but like you fled the scene and like Davian's on the loose and blah, 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 blah. And uh, Billy Crudup thankfully comes in to help get him out of there. And at this point, I, I didn't remember the rest of the movie at this point. It's been so long since I've seen it. So I was like, at this point, I'm guessing like, you know, Billy Crudup, he's like the straight laced company man who usually turns out to be a traitor in these movies. So, but now he's helping him. So I'm like, I hope they're going to like surprise me. And he's actually a legitimate, decent dude. Well, so but, you know what I noticed? It's, it's almost the exact same role that um, uh, Colin Farrell's character plays in Minority Report. Yeah. Um, except in Minority Report, he doesn't turn out to be a traitor, but he does turn out to get shot. um and uh i wasn't sure if it was going that way or and then i remembered yeah he's either the straight lace company man uh but actually a traitor or he is the legit straight lace company man just being a thorn in our hero's side because he's trying to do things by the book and then usually ends up in the line of fire yeah um but yeah so um Ethan escapes, the team meets up, they get to China, where the rabbit's foot is apparently being held in some random office building, secure building, whatever. Doesn't matter, it's some secure place and they're gonna break in by doing some crazy zip line maneuver onto the roof, um, which is pretty typical and kind of repetitive for these movies when you see them back to back. Um, but uh, that said, it was kind of fun and refreshing, the, the different take on it this time. Like, we don't even bother with what happens on the inside. You just, oh, yeah. you just see the entry, and then like, oh shit, gotta go and bust yeah. through the window. Um, and then we get another, we get a fun true lies bit where uh, he gets propelled into another building and like surprising some janitor. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah. because this doesn't he like because he's got the he's got the rabbit foot at that point. Yeah, yeah, he's got it. And yeah. he's just trying to escape. And he jumps still out. Got, I can't make the roof. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's still got the the parachute attached to him, so that's flinging him back out the window um and um uh maggie q and jonathan reese myers who are 
proving to be a solid B squad in this movie. Um, not so throwaway like the tech guy in the in MI two. Um, yeah, who I completely forgot. Yeah, the, the, the take a look movie. around guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't get to know them much, but they get plenty to like do through the movie, and they're really helping the the whole. She gets to uh, tell a story about her cat. A story about her cat. Yeah. Um. By the way, Meg's here. Hey. Hello. Hi, Meg. Hi. Okay, she's gonna go do her thing. <laughs> um. So yeah, where does where does that leave us? Oh yeah, yeah, the clock's ticking. They're they're being chased by, you know, whatever that security was. But um, of course, they can't get a signal in time to call David and say like, "Don't kill her. I've got the shit." Um, big chasing. They, of course, make the call with like five seconds to spare. Um, and at this point, we see actually the container, the rabbit's foot is some sort of biohazard weapon thing. It's like a, it's like a part two. It's like a Turtles 2 Secret of the U's, uh, like TGRI container, but uh, see-through with the big biohazard sign on there. So it's not the anti-god tech thing. It's a bioweapon. So MI2 well, no, I again, I guess. Yeah. That's what um, I said. Chimera Volume Two. Chimera Volume Two. Yeah, another super virus, maybe. Um, but uh, so Ethan goes to meet up uh, and deliver. Of course, he gets drugged, wakes up in a chair, which brings us back to the opening scene of the movie. And uh, Davian demanding to know where the rabbit's foot is, which is confusing because he just delivered it, but apparently not. And he counts down, doesn't listen to anything, just fucking shoots Julia. But surprise, um, uh, Billy Crudup, uh, Musgrave, actually is the name of his character. Well, wait, before that, though, hmm. when he shoots Julia, turns out it was a mask. Well, Musgrave comes out and does that, oh. peels that, he rips it off of her, yeah. Oh, okay. And tries to explain, you know, he's his reasoning that he wants to collaborate with Davian instead of locking him up because... By just arresting the bad guys, more bad guys just keep popping up. So we'd rather collaborate with them to be more efficient at stopping bad guys. That fucking doesn't make any sense. Doesn't not make a, any fucking sense. Whatsoever. Not a damn lick of sense at all. But it is. Anyway. It is the quintessential Kurtzman and Orky uh, maneuvering the plot to serve their story needs. Yeah. So, but yeah, and then uh, rips it off. By the way. It's uh, not Julia they just killed, just Davian's head of security who failed him at the Vatican. Um, so Musgrave's whole thing is he wants to know, like, am I compromised? What was in Lindsay's message? Um, he made it seem as though it was uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character that was the traitor, but whatever. Doesn't matter. Ethan knocks him out, escapes, calls Benji to get Julia's location from the last phone call, which is like a mile away. So it's Tom Cruise running time. Because you gotta There's have so much fucking Tom Cruise running in this movie. So like, much running. Yeah, uh, it's, it's at least twenty minutes of the movie. It's just him running. Yeah, <laughs> right about. Um, but we get the final showdown with Julia, actual Julia, tied up, uh, and then Davian activates the bomb in Ethan's head, and which is uh, kind of the only way we can believe Philip Seymour Hoffman beating Tom Cruise's ass is if he's <laughs> suffering from a bomb in his head at the time, giving him yeah. like a debilitating migraine um but yeah uh so they fight and 
like the power of love gets Ethan up and fighting enough and uh, sends Davian out into traffic. And um, then it's like, a, it's the split second. Hi, honey, I'm a spy. This is how a gun works. Wait, wait, wait. You, you forgot the way that he goes out. Oh, getting hit by the... Yeah, he gets, he gets s- smashed in the face by a truck that, yeah. <laughs> that is on top while he's on top of Ethan. Yeah. And the truck, and he like goes underneath it, and it's like fucking like Daffy Duck or like some Looney Tunes <laughs> shit. It's uh, very similar to the end of Speed uh, <laughs> yeah. on top of the subway car. Is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I'm taller. <laughs> uh, God bless Speed. Um. <laughs> the bus, the bus that couldn't slow down. Uh, but yeah, we get, um, and again, uh, kudos to. Michelle Monaghan for really selling it. This whole sequence of like, hi, honey, I'm a spy. Like, here's a gun. This is how it works. Now, you know, shoot at the bad guys if they come in. And by the way, you need to kill me and then immediately revive me. And uh, that whole thing plays out uh, pretty well. Although it uh, it's pretty convenient how the bad guys just kind of lurch in like zombies, like like perfect targets for her to you know, spend a whole clip to, to get them. But anyway, oh, and then Billy Crudup comes in. I cracked up at this because he comes in and she shoots him and he has the most surprised and like betrayed look on his face. Like he looks like a guy who just stumbled in asking him where the bathroom was. And then he gets shot. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> falls over. <laughs> and then drops the uh, rabbit's foot thing. Um, but um yeah, again, kudos to Michelle Monaghan. She really sells it, like, trying to revive him. And, of course, does. And um, pretty much it. Uh, revives him in the nick of time. Happy ending. We get a uh, we get a nice jab uh, in their afterward conversation uh, where this film series finally recognizes the full name of the organization. Where he's like, yeah, I work for this mission force. organization yeah, okay. called IMF. What's that stand for? Impossible Mission Force. She starts laughing like, you're kidding me. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, Lawrence Fishburne, Brassel, whatever he gets, uh, gives Ethan a nice thank you and sorry for putting you through the ringer. Hope you're not thinking about quitting. He's like, I'm thinking about going on my honeymoon. Um, and by the way, what is the rabbit's foot? He's like, uh, well, uh, promise you'll stay and I tell you. And then, you know, smiles, wink and nod, and just walk away. That's it. We're never going to know. He offers him a job, and he says, what is the job? And that's, he didn't, didn't ask him what's the rabbit's foot. No, he does. No, he did. He does ask ask him what the rabbit's foot foot is. Yeah, and he says, promise you'll stay, and I'll tell you. Yeah, and then he's like. They just leave it at that. Yeah, Yeah. nah, nah, bruh. Because the MacGuffin don't matter. But yeah. And then we get a quick little montage with uh, Julia getting to meet team and like okay you know take your wife to work day and uh and then they're out the door presumably with ethan maybe retiring but of course they leave things open and the end and then we know you know more movies come so obviously he didn't retire but um yeah so it yeah solid not quite the uh masterpiece that you're remembering byron <laughs> uh i think i think it was just um it was it came out at a time when there i think it was it was just a lot better than the second one <laughs> yeah um i will agree i liked 
I, I was really into J.J. Abrams stuff at the time, mainly because of Lost. And so I think all of the pieces felt... But, like, in retrospect, it came out the same year as Casino Royale. And I think Casino Royale, like, is way better. <laughs> it did um, everything Mission yeah. Impossible wanted to do and better. Yeah. and But I also, like... It was around the same time as the Bourne movies, and I've never been a huge fan of the Bourne movies. Um, they're fine, but I just I think they're Paul they Greengrass just... fucking shaky cams way too goddamn much. If yeah, that if the Bourne movies fun. had like fifty percent less shaky cam, they'd be fine. They'd I be guess good. my my issues with the Bourne movies is that they take themselves too seriously in a movie format that is inherently absurd so uh taking yourself too seriously is sort of like and like the antithesis of what these types of movies are about and i think it's why this one um does sort of the similar thing in that it takes itself a little too serious and ends up um the worst for it where the next one and we'll you know we'll see and i'll talk about part of it but but in the that's why this ghost protocol succeeds is that it doesn't do that yeah for sure yeah and this is coming from someone who like for a long time was like really into self-serious movies um in this style and but now i like uh i don't know i'm i don't really uh, that's why i watch serious movies (laughs) I think we all are, in a, especially in our teens and early 20s, like everything so important and special. And Yeah, you know, like Dark over. Knight was like so revelatory. And now I'm just like, Batman Begins is better than Dark Knight. Everybody uh, has a semester of film class. And then thanks. Exactly. You know, they know yeah. everything. <laughs> exactly. They, yes. they want their, their they want their, um, you know, superhero men in capes to have, uh, you know, Nietzschean quotes surrounding them yeah <laughs> and then we grow up and you know just want to relax and fucking have fun <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so well and in the 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 desire to have the sense of i, I i'm looking more for the sense of uh, the my suspension of disbelief that's what i'm looking for more at this point like and uh when when you have a self-serious movie like Mission Impossible 3, it actually takes more suspension of disbelief if if you're grounding it more in the real world. Um, because your brain isn't just, is now paying attention to the details that it wouldn't in a more sort of lighthearted universe. Yeah, for sure. Well, no time to waste. We get a a move on over to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol 2011. So it still took a while for this one. Uh, Five years. years AKA promotional promotional, uh, investment for the Burj Khalifa. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, But this one, we were just talking about, you know, having more fun with it. Directed by Brad Bird. Brad Bird, yeah. Wasn't it his live-action directorial debut? Yeah, yeah. Writer-director of Iron Giant, The Incredibles, Ratatouille. Um, He started as a director on The Simpsons way back in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. 
So uh, he went Brad to CalArts. Bird- he went to CalArts. Oh shit. Brad Bird directing this time, written by uh, newcomers to the franchise, Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec. I'm not familiar with them at all. Yes, uh, however, I think it's very important to note that there was a huge rewrite by uh, Christopher McQuarrie. Oh. That's why this movie is so good. Got it. It's because it's Brad Bird and Christopher McQuarrie. Christopher McQuarrie uh, wrote The Usual Suspects. He's like like the go-to screenwriter for like he 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 was a major major uh script doctor in the 90s and pretty much all of your favorite movies were rewritten by him yeah and then he takes over the franchise from here on out yeah exactly five and six with the next one yeah so let's get into it uh we open we kick it off straight into the action with sawyer from lost yep (laughs) From, and this, uh, I mean, we also have to note that this one was also, uh, it was a bad robot production mm-hmm. produced by J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Uh, so Josh Holloway as Agent Hannaway, Hannaway, Holloway, that's funny, um, who lasts about 30 seconds before he's killed <laughs> uh, by a random lady assassin who takes away whatever he was trying to steal. So really, uh, real quick, though, I, I want, like, be, like, even from the opening shot of this movie, you can tell it's a much more recent film because it has that look that 2000s movies have mm-hmm. or like 2010s movies have. Yeah, yeah, we're like, getting definitely more modern. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he bites the dust pretty fast and we jump over to a Moscow prison where Benji's back, yay, out in the tech van. And he and a newcomer, Agent Jane Carter... No relation to Peggy or Sharon, as far as I know. <laughs> uh, played by Paula Patton, who is rad in this movie. Um, and they're breaking Ethan out. Um, there's some funny stuff with uh, Benji arguing with him over the security cameras, like open this door and like, no, 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 go this way and blah, blah, blah. But he's trying to get his uh, his little Russian buddy out to there, um, who apparently was like feeding him intel. And so he's thanking him by getting him out of there. Um, but we've already have a mystery, which extends through most of the movie. Ethan is in prison for some reason, and Julia, his wife, is nowhere to be found. Um, oh, going back really quick to Simon Pegg, uh, I read some funny trivia. So uh, after Shaun of the Dead hit big in 2004, Simon Pegg was asked by a journalist, um, like, so now that you have this, like, big blockbuster movie like is has england become too small for you now in the acting world or whatever simon Pegg responds with something like it's not like i'm going to be starring in mission impossible 3 <laughs> <laughs> and then six months later he gets cast in mission impossible 3 and then the rest funny. of the franchise yeah um so yeah benji passed the field exam so he is a full member of the team now uh, and it's hilarious because he's like super excited and neurotic and like as they're going through the next stage of the mission is uh, the Kremlin. Well, and, and this is like uh, after Mission Impossible 3, he did. So this is also after Star Trek 09 for him, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is only two years later. Yep. So he yeah. so Simon Pegg is like a bona fide action hero now. Oh, yeah. So. Um, uh, 
Sora, yeah. So uh, Ethan uh, is saying like, oh, why, why did they break me out? They would only break me out if they need me for something. And then uh, uh, Agent Carter, uh, Jane, she gives a backstory about the mission that went south with, um, I'm just going to call him Sawyer from Lost, Hannaway, Agent Hannaway, yeah. So he was trying to recover uh, Russian nuclear codes and was ambushed by the assassin lady, uh, Sab- another Sabine, Sabine Moreau, um, played by Leia Seydoux. Um, Leia Seydoux. Right? Leia Seydoux, yeah, French actress. Uh, I didn't really recognize her, but I guess she's been she's been in Glorious Bastards, Midnight in Paris, Grand Budapest Hotel. She's been a fuck ton of things. Oh, in the last two Bond movies, uh, Spectre and the new one, No Time to Die. Um, yeah. So when is uh, No Time to Die come out? Who the fuck knows? That's been like delayed so many times. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, So she's going to be selling these nuke codes to a mysterious person. The IMF has been tracking codenamed Cobalt. Um, Oh, yeah. And uh, Carter and Hannaway clearly had a thing. So it's personal. Um, But we get the full mission brief at an old payphone. There's a funny little bit, a nod where it actually fails to explode. So he has to go back there and, you know, knock it. Um, and then so, uh, one thing I want to mention about like uh, Brad Bird's direction in this film and something that I noticed throughout it is that uh, so Brad Bird is someone who comes from the world of like animation and story and like distinct storytelling. So like this movie has a flow to it that is uh, unlike any of the other movies in that it there's always something visual happening that is interesting in and of itself like the the way that the the action flows together and like you can tell that the storyboards for this film were like very tightly followed um like uh there's a scene later on when um he's uh something is being blocked by a uh a fountain and then the the camera like moves slowly to the left, and the the sh- the information is seen behind what was it was the fountain was obscuring it, and then it moves towards it, and it's all in one camera movement, and it it conveys the the story of the scene through the camera movement, and it's it was brilliant. I was like, wow, that is some like incredible directing, and then um, later on when the like the little eye scanner thing is has popped out of the uh the moving train you know in any other movie that would have just been they have to get on the train but mm-hmm. now they have to get on the train while scanning their eyes so it's there's always some sort of visceral movement happening in context with something else so yeah. Brad Bird is constantly like keeping our interest by keeping the frame moving but not arbitrarily it's always very 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 intentional very specific and creative inventive action sequences which you remember oh yeah it's the creator of the incredibles so that yeah exactly (laughs) And and it makes sense because in animation you can't go like you have to you have to plan these cells out months ahead and you know modern movies are sort of similar but they're a little bit more free flow than that uh, so it just it just has a very much more fluid sense of dy- dynamism than the last few movies have. Yeah. So uh, so they need to break into the Kremlin to get something. I don't even remember at this point. 
um, <laughs> uh, something out of the archives. So uh, Benji and Ethan go in disguised as Russian officers, lots of Simon Pegg being Simon Pegg, which is great. Um, starts to allude to the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, but you and Julia didn't work out or something. He doesn't even know exactly what happened, but obviously she's not around. So um, we get a pretty cool new gadget, um, the most advanced YouTuber backdrop in the world. Which, yeah, uh, right? I saw that. <laughs> which lets them uh you know hide in plain sight in the hallway um and even gets the archive room what he's looking for has already been taken big bad we get introduced to him he's holding the bag and and actually goes live on the radio basically outing their operation um so so everything goes crazy on lockdown uh they got to get the hell out of there and abort and next thing you know boom explosion takes out a portion of the kremlin um and which the big would be bad. like the which would be like the pentagon and the white house being involved yeah yeah for sure big business here uh the big bad by the way uh actor michael nykvist i'm sure i'm saying that right swedish actor i knew i knew him from somewhere and i finally hit me he is the head russian mob boss in john wick the first one. Oh, okay yeah fucking uh, pencil <laughs> fucking pencil yeah uh yeah so ethan wakes up uh in a hospital cuffed to the gurney kgb man comes along and you know is pinning the bombing on him uh it's actually a fun there's a fun little scene with them kind of building rapport where he's tries to escape on the balcony or on the edge of the building realizes he's got nowhere to go and the guy's just like having a smoke like go ahead try it like <laughs> you want to jump give it a shot um but then of course he gets away and uh you know is on the move uh, we cut to the big bad um, terrorizing a little Russian family uh, in their home. Like obviously it's some guy who he needs for some reason, I'm assuming like a nuclear scientist of some sort or whatever. He just breaks in as like, we have work to do. Very, very Walter White, like let's cook. He knows uh, where all the nuclear vessels are. Vessels, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alameda. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Ethan meets up with uh, the IMF secretary Tom Wilkinson. Another big yeah. Name. I totally forgot he was in this movie too. Like yeah, and again, it's it. often like two minutes, but yeah, yeah. But him and Jeremy Renner, Hawkeye himself, as uh, this is before this is before uh, Avengers. Avengers I think was it was twenty twelve. Yeah, I think this is before uh, Born Identity, isn't it? Or, yeah, uh, yeah, because oh, that yeah. was like 2013, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was even before I think he was in Thor because I don't think Thor had been released yet. I forget, it might have been Thor, I think, was late 2011. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, so yeah, he's um, chief analyst William Brandt, he uh, he IDs the big bad as uh uh kurt Hendricks, former swedish special forces blah 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 he's a crazy guy with nukes um or wants a nuke ethan's like why don't you like tell the russians about him like but the russians uh won't listen to their warnings because as far as they're concerned the americans just bombed the freaking kremlin uh and specifically imf is to blame so the president has enacted <gasps> title of the movie ghost protocol dun, dun, dun. which oh, means by the way Thor came out like six months before this did. So Jeremy oh, Renner okay. had just been like, we had just seen him as Hawkeye and now he's yeah. in this. Barely for like a hot minute. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, ghost protocol, which means the entire IMF is now disavowed. Uh, Ethan will be, oh, and, and Tom Wilkinson plays this really nice, it's fun, where he uh, basically says, oh, you're going to be sent back to Washington, labeled an extremist. That is unless, of course, you can assault me and, uh, and Brant here and escape somewhere between here and the airport. <laughs> basically hands them, he's like, we know how this goes. Like, go. Uh, and I love how Brant is like, uh uh sir uh what yeah. jeremy renner does a good job of that like being the like the, the nerdy analyst guy you know, the butt of the joke like wait what's happening now yeah um but yeah so and then the russians catch up with them car goes in the freaking river uh the secretary's dead uh ethan and brant escape rendezvous at the uh train car with uh benji and jane we get some more info on uh Hendrix, Cobalt, whatever, the big bad. So now, uh, so what's the, we, we've covered the, the wacky villain logic in the last movie. Wacky villain logic for this movie is he basically thinks the world should have nuclear war to like as part of the natural life cycle of civilization and level the playing field, I guess. that Did I get that right? I, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, somehow he's going to save the world by destroying it and making things start fresh or something. I don't know. Um, and uh, we also find that out those that, that, that those that come out of it will be hardened. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, because they'll be like they'll be like Fallout mutants, right? They'll be they'll be super like, mutants. Yeah, they'll be super mutants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we find out uh, our next mission point. So he's uh, sending his associate, um, w- Wistrom, which I heard that I kept saying Wistrom and I hear in my head, Professor Farnsworth going, Wernstrom. <laughs> uh, but he's going to buy the launch codes off of the lady assassin lady. And where are they going to do it? In Dubai for some reason. What is the reason? So Tom Cruise can climb the tallest building on earth. That is why. <laughs> that is why Dubai. Also, it just had opened at that point and they really needed advertising for that. Yeah. So, um, so some trivia behind that. Um, so of course this is the big stunt for this movie uh, to prepare for this scene. They, the, the team built a replica part of the building, like this huge climbing wall on, on a set and, in uh in Prague they even used like giant hot lights to heat up the wall as Tom Cruise was climbing up it so he could get comfortable with like matching the temperature it was going to be in Dubai when he oh, did wow. this for real yeah um yeah and uh as where was it um uh, I had a quote from the stunt coordinator somewhere but yeah they they did all the rehearsing in Prague and they never they never had any time to to rehearse anything actually in Dubai, so when it was when the day oh, came, wow. it was just like, oh, this is the filming, the real filming, um, yeah, for the, for the final cut. Um, yeah, the, oh yeah, the stunt coordinator Greg Smurz, he said it was kind of like a military operation where they they can't you know practice where they're going to go in and like rescue hostages or something, so they just had to build this replica, do everything here, and then just go in and do the thing for real. Um, but yeah, and that that sequence was shot in IMAX, right? I think so. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, and I was remembering I, that as I was watching because I was like, I was watching this on my laptop, and I was like, man, this would be great in IMAX. Oh yeah, I think they did advertise a lot that they filmed that. Well, IMAX. and um, I read that uh, part of the reason that Brad Bird wanted to shoot this in IMAX, other than you know he had 
watched the dark Knight a couple of years prior um was that uh 3d was really big at the time and he didn't want to shoot in 3d and because he thought that imax would be more immersive than 3d would be and uh yeah i get it yeah for sure um so um during this whole sequence the tom cruise he has that moment where um the glove the right glove fails oh yeah and he has to fall like a couple stories um so apparently according to the producer tom peitzman peitzman uh he was saying that whole sequence was done like on the actual building and of course they had like stunt rigging for him that they cg out in the computer and everything mm-hmm. um but tom cruise was so adamant to do that particular like the fall which is like two and a half stories or something like that over and over again because he was like i'm not getting the timing right like i can do a better take so again just more stories like like tom just... cruise has a fucking death wish man <laughs> like... oh yeah he does yeah he really wants to go see lord zeno so yeah again the producers being like god like he was giving us a heart attack just because he wanted to do it again and again and he's literally falling two and a half stories on the side of this fucking building also when they filmed that's 130 was, stories up. Yeah. And he was actually only about halfway up the building when they filmed. Oh, but okay. for, for comparison, that's still just about as high as the Empire State Building. <laughs> Empire State Building is... Uh, hey, well, at least if he fell, they'd have enough time to catch him. Yeah. <laughs> so the Empire State Building is roughly uh, uh, just over 1,400 feet. 443 meters. The Burj Khalifa... Uh, 829 meters or 2722 feet wow yeah um oh and i had a note here we do i mean okay i give him a lot of shit for you know his insane hubris and death wish but this is where uh like you were saying like the tom cruise's acting is a lot better um he does a great job at those like everyman moments like Mm -hmm. even though the character of ethan like he's done some crazy shit up to this point but and I think it actually works a lot better now. That, that moment where he's like, "Yeah, think." Yeah, uh, <laughs> Simon I, Pegg. Oh, that works really well. So Simon Pegg, uh, you know, is now the super enthusiastic tech guy out in the field, and he's like, he doesn't see the problem. He's like, "Yeah, we got the gloves. You got the tech. Like, you're ready. Like, go on. Like, clock's ticking." And yep. Ethan has to sit there like, "Fuck!" <laughs> like, yeah, looking at like, uh, wait, we're doing this now. We're doing yeah, it. Like, Fuck it, let's do it live. Stalling, yeah, looking at his gloves, looking at the window of nothing. Like, all right, shit. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then when he, when he has, oh, it's when he has to rappel back down because yeah. they, they can't get the elevator open. So he has to rappel back down. He can't get all the way back down. And Jeremy Renner, again, also fun as the analyst who's like pretty much lost in the field. Like he doesn't have a job to do. So he's just like, he's the helper as Benji says. So he's like counting down. 25 minutes till the door knock. 24 minutes. You're not helping. And then when he, and then when he repels down, like your line's not long enough. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that moment, uh, I, I don't know why it works so well for me. It just like, yeah. it felt really more human than Ethan. Cause I mean, Ethan in the, the last few movies has been like sort of weird and robotic and, and cold with not yeah. a lot of like human emotion behind him. And in this one, it like the exact, I think 
there were probably a lot of notes from the studio for Tom Cruise from the last few movies, hmm. especially the last one. Be like, more like, human. <laughs> yeah, like um, try to uh, get your your face on correct in this scene. Um, well, again, I think um, Edgar, your skin's hanging off your bones. <laughs> this might be uh, kind of similar to. Um, well, we, we we touched on this before with the first movie. How I really appreciate, and it's uh, you know the style with a lot of older action m- movies where the heroes feel more human and the action, the over-the-top antics are much more earned, slowly but mm-hmm. surely. You know, they yeah. have to work up to that uh, as opposed to being like a completely impenetrable superhero or whatever. Um, and maybe after Tom Cruise got a lot of clout um, following the first movie success, maybe that's where they, you know, went a bit overboard and bonkers with number two and even a little bit in number three. Um, but this seems to be coming back around to humanizing him a lot more just be like he's just a guy like barely making it out alive every time you know yeah so and again the character dynamics now are a lot better with benji being in the field so he can play off the he gets tom cruise gets to do a lot more of the really good straight man comedy playing off against bouncing off simon Pegg. that and that's something that i noticed in this one is that it's a lot more light-hearted despite mm-hmm. the like specter of nuclear armageddon yeah. <laughs> um like there there's little like jokey moments in almost every scene that that serve to lighten the not the tension necessarily because the tension is actually very high yeah but the mood yeah for sure um and it's not it's not ever like i thought it got a little too jokey with the um the Mumbai uh, uh, romance of the like billionaire guy. Oh yeah. That cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, was we'll, getting a we'll, little too broad for me. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So uh, moving the plot along, we get it. Fuck. It's a bit wonky from here on out, but we get the, basically we get these, this double fake out meeting that they're doing um, with, half the team meeting with the, the seller, half the team meeting with the buyer to make it look like everything is a smooth transaction. Um, but then the uh, the Russian family man guy is forced there to, he's the verifier of the nuclear codes. He can confirm they're legit. So then they're like, fuck, we have to give him actual codes, not fake ones like we were planning. Anyway, long story short, they almost get away with it until the lady assassin uh, realizes that shit ain't right um catches a glimpse of the uh the little camera lens at uh jeremy so the one thing about this lady assassin that i noticed is that she looks remarkably like (laughs) t-swift yeah could be her little sister or something yeah 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 um a quick fist fight happens and they're getting out of there and this is the first part where we see oh brant isn't just some helpless analyst like he's got moves like he like takes yeah, he, he disarms that he disarms that gun in like one swift movement you know? yeah and so him and ethan share that look like we are gonna need to talk about this <laughs> yeah, yeah we're gonna have to have words <laughs> we're gonna have to have words yeah uh uh lady assassin uh moreau she's on her way out the door jane grabs her they've got her captive for a hot minute but uh uh Wister- Wernstrom has the nuke codes um Moreau gets the drop on Benji, so Jane gets to beat her ass and knock her out the fucking window. 
which is very satisfying. <laughs> uh, this is for Sawyer. Um, and now it's time for Tom Cruise to outrun a sandstorm. Uh, <laughs> now, to be fair, he doesn't actually outrun it. Well, okay. One thing, head, but... one thing um, that happened is that, uh, so they were building, they were make, they, they bought out one of the mask makers from the second movie or from the third movie. Oh um, yeah. And then the mask maker fails. Fails, yeah. Like, in the middle. So they have to do that whole like meeting thing, just sans masks. <laughs> And I thought it, uh, a line that um, that Peg had that was good was like, you know, uh, I- I'm not exactly Omar Sharif. Um, oh, yeah. I'll play it French. Yeah, um, was good, yeah. And then he comes in with a, a French accent. But I think w- through, the, through the movie, he was so excited that he was in the field. He's like, can we wear masks? Oh, I want to wear a mask. <laughs> well, and then that's the thing is that like in this movie, there are no masks that get used. Yeah, so, only one yeah one by the bad guy by the bad guy yeah Yeah. and And that's um, that's coming right up here so they they do the sandstorm chase mm -hmm. um which is actually pretty cool i just like the whole aesthetic of it all of a sudden it felt like oh we're in an uncharted game yeah (laughs) that was one of the best gimmicks from that film yeah it was really cool uh but so they have that weird crazy blind car chase and then the one scooby-doo mask reveal the villain getting away and at first i thought well this is pointless like so it was the big bad all along instead of the big bad's associate who cares. But I guess it was kind of a big deal because if they knew it was him all along, they could have just apprehended him. And that would be that because their whole argument was, yeah, I was actually, I was actually pretty confused about this sequence. Yeah. I didn't understand when he pulled off his mask. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Wait. So the argument was they still had to go along with the plan and let the exchange take happen yeah happen that's why they gave them the real nuclear codes not the fake ones yeah because if they just apprehended uh the big bad's associate the big bad uh fuck his would come back would come back some other day yeah he'll just come back another day but if they actually knew it was him there well shit they could have just you know killed him right there or just apprehended their end of story um but anyway so yeah it feels like a useless like we have to have it the studio is probably like we have to have at least one mask reveal, like one mask in the yeah. Room. It's Mission Impossible. And I I wonder if that was something that like Brad Bird said, like I don't like the masks. I I'm not doing masks or something. That feels like that feels like the type of thing a director would be like. I'm not going to do masks. Masks yeah. are silly. Well, it's good that they. But then it down. they've got him floating in midair in a giant like computer motherboard later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot about that whole. Like, that device. whole sequence is so goofy and like maybe a little too goofy but yeah yeah, yeah. so anyway uh before we get to mumbai uh, uh they're back like licking their wounds basically in some hideout uh ethan confronts brant about who he is he still won't give a word um and meanwhile ethan's been calling some mysterious friend for help um he goes off to meet them and here's a rabbit hole that i didn't expect that i was going to dive into so he is greeted by a henchman on a boat do you know who that henchman is? He is the same. It's not just same actor, the same actual character in the Mission Impossible universe. He was one of Max's henchmen in the first film. Yeah, that freaking Vigo the Carpathian looking dude with the long blonde hair. Oh, uh, okay. So I saw that dude and I was like, hey, the camera is lingering on this guy like longer yeah. than normal. 
Yeah. I feel like I should know who he is, but I have no clue who this person is. So he's is. he's still in the arms dealer henchman game. He's just working it's for somebody. It's literally the now. same character. Literally the same character. Ever I had to look it up because I was like, what? what? And it's like it's true. It was meant to, it's the exact same character. He's just like moved on to another arms dealer now. He's, he's gotta be player. like a stunt coordinator or something. And he kind of he kind of like they have a knowing look, they recognize each other, and he hands him a, the exact same looking mask. A shroud to put over his head to meet the arms dealer as in the first film when he goes to meet max it's like if you look what? yeah yeah That's it's the same so thing. bizarre so here's uh did they think the that anyone but like the most hardcore mission impossible fan was going to know that i don't know whatever maybe they're just like that actor because like, hey, i, I literally that. just watched that movie last week and i didn't figure that out yeah, yeah. so the actor um andreas wisniewski German actor and actually started out as a dancer um, and then decided to pursue acting instead and then ends up being villainous henchmen in a bunch of movies, the 80s and 90s. He was, he was uh, actually the character's name is Tony. <laughs> he was the first terrorist to die in Die Hard. He's a sweater wearing dude. The, oh, really? Now I've got a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's him. I just know that short, guy. Yeah, just with short hair and, and See, I, I was I was probably more likely to pick him out from that than the first yeah. Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're a fan of the classic Bond movies, he was also the hitman uh, Necros in The Living Daylights, which was the first of Timothy Dalton's oh, yeah. uh, Bond movies. That was the a, first gritty reboot of James Bond. Yeah. Um, and actually, I joked about him looking like Vigo the Carpathian. He's not the same actor as Vigo. However, the actual Vigo actor is another German actor named Willem von Homburg, mm -hmm. who is also a terrorist in Die Hard. Yeah. So they're in there together. Anyway. Aren't yeah, they brothers of, in Die uh, Hard? I think they're supposed to be brothers. Uh, not, not him. Uh, oh. He's supposed to be the brother of another one, uh, a, a thinner. Um, oh, okay. Big but dude. there are both i'm not making that up there are brothers in yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie, right like yeah for a second yeah. i thought the same thing too but willem von humberg he's nice another kind of one of the no-name guys in the also back. willem von humberg is nuts yeah I, the dude I, is I, like straight up like mentally unwell in fact i think he's dead now but uh I, he's he's like crazy 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 like real crazy. yeah yeah so i so i read anyway um so back in the uh Oh, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, Ethan goes and meets that guy. We flash back to the hideout. Brant starts telling his story to um, uh, Carter and, and Benji. Uh, so he was actually, he was a field agent. He was uh, shadowing a husband and wife for protection. He was on assignment protecting Ethan and Julia. Uh, Ethan does know that because he, he doesn't recognize him because he was like, he was supposed to be, it was silent protection, basically. They weren't supposed to know that he was there. Um, so this happens. They find out, uh, at some point, his team finds out that a group of Serbian terrorists or somebody are targeting Ethan and Julia. Uh, he wants to warn them, but he's under orders. He can't be seen, whatever. And he figures his team, whatever, they'll take care of it. But one day, Ethan goes out for a run, and Brant follows him. When they get back... Julia's missing, his team's like knocked out. And a couple days later, Julia's found dead by the local police or 
So he's led to believe at this point. Um, so that's why Brant is no longer in the field. That's why he's like being weird and blaming himself now. Like now I'm face to face with, with Ethan, you know, that I'm the guy responsible for his wife's death. Like, how do I, how do I, what do I do? Like, do I tell him? Do I, what do I, how do I, how do you say that? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So pretty dark, pretty sad, but anyway, right after this, we get, uh, his prison buddy, Sergey, my friend, uh, uh Bogdan. Nico! Cousin! Cousin! Let's go bowling, cousin. Yeah. So his cousin turns out to be an arms dealer. Nico Bellic. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why uh, he was, uh, why Ethan was calling him trying to get his assistance. He needs to know where the big bad is headed because now apparently he needs a targeting satellite to launch the nukes and uh, blah, blah, blah. We're, We're going to Mumbai. That's, that's, what we need to know here. Um, so he gets him set up with a jet to head out there. And also, but he also tips off the KGB agent that's been after him. Like, Hey, I hear you're looking for an American. Um, so it looks like he's playing both, both sides anyway. So this whole sequence I've been leading up to, uh, they need a new code or something from this cartoonish Indian billionaire, dude, the sleazy dude. Who's so, Jane, uh, Agent Carter gets dressed up to sweet talk this billionaire, and um, damn, um, I Paula Patton, she's fit. Damn, <laughs> uh, that's all I can. I mean, I could say more, but I'm not gonna. Um, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Benji and Brant are trying to get into this giant computer room because I forgot why. Wibbly wobbly, Mission Impossibly. Just, just enjoy the show. Um, and he does. Yeah, those- he, he he goes into like it. It, it felt like he is like uh, literally going into like a life size like gaming computer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And he supermans his way via high powered magnets, magnets and, and he's wearing like a me- like a mesh like metal suit underneath his clothes, yeah. and it is by far the the most ridiculous shit. That has happened in a what's, Mission Impossible movie thus far. Todd, Todd, what, refresh my memory. What's the what's the name of the all powerful chainmail that uh, that Frodo wears? Mithril. Mithril. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he gets his Mithril suit on, and, <laughs> and Superman's through this computer room. They're just giving him something to do while Jane has to entertain this cartoonish billionaire perv. Um, and then it doesn't matter. They run out of time anyway. Uh, the missile gets launched and so now it's just they have to scramble to try to abort it so they have to uh run after um keep forgetting his name cobalt was it hendrix whatever the big bad um crazy chase ensues into this like automated parking garage thing and again, this is one of those Family Guy chicken fights. Like it's just they're on moving platforms and up and down. Well, and also, it, it's sort of an absurd thing because these things don't exist in North America. They literally just don't have them here. So, like anybody who's watching this in North America is like, "What the fuck is this? Why are they? Why are the cars like going up and down on on like what?" Yeah, yeah. So. The bad guy pretending to be uh, the Russian government, he orders a, a 
sub to launch a nuke and make it look like retaliation for the Kremlin bombing, but he just wants to get his nuclear war started. Um, he's well, got nuclear him. rocks off. Nuclear rocks off, yeah. Um, so the only way they can stop it is by, uh, you know, hitting that big shiny red abort button in the suitcase he's carrying. Crazy fight. Meanwhile, the B squad has to get like the satellite uplink back up and running, uh, something like that. Um, so they get some actiony stuff to do. And another cool twist in this movie, which we've never seen in this franchise yet, uh, because the nature of this character being like just the super true believer, uh, willing to die for his cause, he just like nopes the fuck out off. The oh, yeah. Ground. Just like, fuck you. And just so he just so Ethan can't get the case to turn it off. Exactly. So yeah. Kills so. himself to prevent Ethan from. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually he he's mostly dead. Yeah, <laughs> he's his, like, his like mostly. foot is twitching. You know. Yeah, he's there, just kind of like looking around, like oh shit. And that then, really hurt. <laughs> and then Ethan does the only thing he can do: straps into the nearest car and nopes himself down. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for airbag airbags, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure his neck still would have snapped like a twig, but whatever. It's Mission Impossible, and he crawls over. And triumphantly shouts, mission accomplished. <laughs> but then, then again. Yeah, but it takes a few tries because they have yeah. to finish the satellite stuff. And but then yeah. Well, it's a callback to the moment at the beginning when he has to punch the the phone when it oh. won't self-destruct. Right, yeah. Uh yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm joking about it, but honestly, at the end of it, I was like, that was a pretty inventive sequence and fight and i keep wondering again how much of that was brad bird's influence with that animation background just like how everything escalates and then they end up back on the bottom and everything i don't know i thought it was really solid um but of course the team gets a satellite uplink back on right in time he hits the button kgb guy comes in at the last minute like just to see like oh so you, you ain't actually, so bad yeah you ain't so bad uh, that was a funny moment like just looks at him like all fucked up he's like hospital like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and then we flash forward probably like some time has passed because like wounds are healing he's not all banged up and um we get uh we get luther back we get ving rames even though he's not a part of this story at all i do appreciate that they bring him back like it's just like a nice button like no matter what like ethan and him are like best buddies for life so they're always going to meet up and exchange war stories and whatever um, but he's laughing at him. He's like, you actually said those words, mission accomplished out loud. <laughs> like you cheesy son of a bitch. <laughs> um, and Ethan, you know, does a little, you know, thank you to the team. He wants them to keep on rolling with it. Um, but again, Brant is squeamish. And so they got to get their uh, business aired out. And uh, uh, so Ethan finally clears up the air. He, uh, the IMF gave Ethan the mission to be locked away in the prison because they suspected um, Hendrix, Cobalt, the big bad, had people on the inside. So they ended up faking Julia's death, which also kept her out of harm's way, um, and then cooked up the story of him taking revenge on the Serbians to end up locked away in jail. Okay. Um, yeah, it's like... That's some that's some movie writery shit. <laughs> uh-huh. But long story short, it ends with the fact that um, 
they've given up on their relationship because like no matter as long as he's doing this job, she's never going to be safe. So it's like, OK, we can buy that. Um, yeah, especially the, since in the last movie, uh, he found her in like 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he set he set up this we find out we, he set up this meeting here because he knew where she was going to be. She we end up seeing her um in i believe in some sort of hospital clothes um so she's still she's wearing scrubs and she's with another like male nurse yeah yeah and so uh so we're um uh i was gonna say so we they they get a quick glance of each other like uh, across from the water just kind of like a acknowledgement like oh god hey you're here yeah and as she goes in the coffee shop what she's actually saying to the the male nurse next to her, don't look now. It's it's my ex boy. It's my ex husband. He's following me. <laughs> oh shit! He knows about you. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, then you know they basically part ways. He uh, disappears into the fog as he listens like to his a text. ghost, like a ghost listening to protocol of some fashion. <laughs> and uh, the end. That's it. Yeah, and uh, I don't. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think the ending. Um, isn't as tight as the rest of the movie uh but it held up remarkably well like i was watching it with my sister i this one i watched uh, mission impossible 3 on this laptop downstairs while i was playing video games and then i watched ghost protocol on my um on the big tv upstairs and it's it was just so much more fun watching ghost protocol than it was mission impossible 3 yeah um Um, another fresh thing about this movie as opposed to the last three movies this is the first one where there are no moles in the organization no yeah. no yeah. bad guy is the vi- no no villain was uh you know a turncoat imf agent like this is the first time like oh thank god like it's not just this supposedly good guy organization just churning out fucking bad to be guys. fair there's not very many imf agents in this movie <laughs> that's true um but yeah yeah I, I really enjoyed it i think this was the most fun I've had with these rewatches so far. Well, this um, was also the highest grossing of all of them at the time. Yeah. Uh, and significantly more. It, it made significantly I, more than the third one did. I think right. they also promoted the fuck out of this one a lot more. I think they did. The they, also relied a, they also relied a lot on um, international uh, non-domestic uh box office yeah i think that was like a quarter or a half of the the, the box office was the uh, was the international market okay and it makes sense like these types of like globe trotting like uh movies they 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 do well in international territories okay. um yeah anytime you can anytime foreign markets can see a slice of their home in an american movie they love it and right. they they usually make cuts of the other of the films in other markets where the, the actors from other places have bigger roles. <laughs> Did you know that? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. crazy. Like uh, in Iron Man, the Chinese act or in Iron Man three, the Chinese actors have like a way bigger role. Yeah. Which is good. Yay. Diversity in Hollywood cinema. Um, one last thing I, I had to look it up because um, I wasn't 100% certain. Um, but as he's walking off, you know, into the shadows and listening to his next mission, 
um, that actually pays off. It's the plot uh, to the next movie. It's yeah. the plot to the next movie. Yeah, the Syndicate is the other form, the other organization, like a an anti. What year? What was Rogue Nation? Two thousand fourteen or fifteen? Fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen. Okay, and that's so when four years later. Yeah, and that's when Macquarie steps in to write and direct. And direct. Yeah. And isn't he doing the last two as Seven well? Eight, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. just. He's run with it. Since and then. Fallout and the next two are supposed to be like a trilogy, right? So sure. fu- interesting. I still haven't seen Fallout. Um, oh, when yeah. did Fallout come out? What year? 2019, I think. Maybe. I'm pretty sure. Because like, yeah, it was supposedly like the best action movie ever. Some people said that it, some people were like, yeah, this is the greatest action movie ever made. I enjoyed it. Uh, 2018. 2018 was... 2018, okay. For some reason, I missed it in theaters, and I was really bummed that I didn't see it in theaters. So... Okay, so it's Rogue Nation that I'm thinking with. Funny story, Rogue Nation is the only film that I can remember as an adult that I've actually fallen asleep in the theater. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, I just was not feeling that one, and as an adult, I actually passed out. My my buddy Danny had to wake me up because apparently I was snoring. Jeez. (laughs) Well, we'll see how you do this time. I do remember thinking that uh, I remember liking Rogue Nation. Um... But I don't really remember anything about it. <laughs> I don't remember anything about like it. Like I, I except literally, the, except the very beginning, uh, the plane stunt. Um, yeah, I sort of remember that. Yeah. And I think there's the scene where he like kills the girl in front of him, and behind like a plate of glass or something. And I thought that I was remember. really. Yeah, and that's all I remember too, but I also can't remember it very well. So I don't even know if that happened. Well, we'll find out for next time. Uh, we're maxing out our time here, so we better uh, we better get moving. But uh, yeah, next week, our finale in the Mission Impossible series, uh, five and six. And, um... and uh, five, yeah, it'll be interesting to revisit that. And uh, it'll be my first time watching six. So I'm actually pretty stoked about that. I remember and then about nothing from the last two except uh, seven and eight when they come out. <laughs> we'll have to do reviews of those too. For sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we'll catch you next week. Uh, thank you for joining. This is Tony. This is Todd. This is Byron. And Meg, I guess. Meg's in. Woo! <laughs> 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 All right. Later, guys. Ba-da! 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 Ba-